Hello and welcome to The Boss Podcast, episode 102. I am Kirk Bailey, bringing you another great talk from The Boss Archives. This week, we learn some lessons from our mistakes with Wistia's Chris Savage. The Business of Software podcast, sharing sessions from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. Find out more at businessofsoftware.org. The old saying goes, we all make mistakes, but it's what we learn from them that matters. But what happens when these are good mistakes, bad mistakes, or even dangerous ones? Chris Savage is CEO and co-founder of Wistia, the best video hosting platform we know. That's a boss opinion, not a press release. He and his co-founder, Brendan Schwartz, started Wistia in 2006. They initially raised some angel funding and since then have consciously grown a profitable long-term business that customers and employees love. Happy listening. Um, I had a lot of trouble picking the mistakes to put in here because we've made a lot of mistakes at Wistia, um, but some of them have been righted by just random conversations with people here in the hallway. So I just, I just say get out there, talk to everybody, um, and learn as much as you can. So I'm going to be talking to you about three mistakes that we've made as a business um, that have really defined us. Uh, so first, my name is Chris Savage. As Mark kindly said, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Wistia. Uh, basically, we try to help people get more out of video on the web. Um, my Twitter handle is csavage. If you have questions throughout the talk, feel free to just like shoot questions there. I'll get back to everybody after. Um, and yeah, so I think to start, um, there's a lot of different mistakes that we've made, and there's a lot of different types of mistakes. And I like to type, I like to break mistakes into three different kinds. And I want to break down these types of mistakes for you and then get into the ones that are the most defining for, what, for us, basically the worst mistakes that we've made. So I think first you have good mistakes. Good mistakes might be overhydrating, uh, like my co-founder here is doing. But really what I, what I mean is uh, uh, good mistakes are mistakes where you learn quickly that you made a mistake, but you can recover also pretty quickly. So an example that came to mind recently, and this is not a business-defining mistake for us, um, is we sent out this newsletter two months ago. And when we send it out, you know, we send these things out. It's a just digest of content. We do a lot of content marketing. Um, it's a really great way to get people back to the site. And we sent it out, thought it went pretty well. Um, and then we started to receive messages like this. So I'm going to read this to you. But basically, it's in our support inbox. Someone said, if I'm already on your email list, why must I sign in again to read an article in your email newsletter? Waste of time for the viewer and very irritating. This does not make for a very good user experience. OK, so we had done something wrong. Um, what we had done is we'd actually shared the admin link to our blog post. Really, really simple mistake. This is why this is a good mistake and not a business-defining, horrible, terrible mistake, which we're going to get to those. Um, and so the response here is pretty quick. So learn that we made a mistake pretty quickly. And what we did is we uh, sent an email back to everyone on the list and basically said, Elise, who sent out that email, said, I'm feeling pretty silly right now because, you, as you might have noticed, there was a broken link to our blog post about how to record audio in the email we just sent you. Sorry for wasting a click. Here's the real link. Hope you can forgive me. So I, this is a nice little moment. And actually, what ended up happening, of course, is way more people came back and way more people saw the blog post, uh, which so it's like a nice hack if you want to go try this. Um, <laughs> but uh, this is a good mistake. This is not business ending. This did not define who we are. Then you have bad mistakes. Bad mistakes are not as fun. I've certainly made bad mistakes. And I would define bad mistakes as mistakes where you learn quickly that you made the mistake, 
but you recover very slowly. So these mistakes hurt, but you can recover. And when I think about bad mistakes, I always think about Netflix. So in July 2011, Netflix introduced new pricing. And what they did is they split their DVD subscription from their streaming subscription. So instead of one price for both those things, it was going to be separate prices. And if you wanted both, you'd have to spend more. And people were pretty upset. Um, two months later, they decided to introduce Quickster. I don't know if you guys remember this, but the concept here was the DVD business would be a separate business called Quickster. Not a great name. I could go on that for a while. But so this happens, and um, people were, it was just kind of like definitely a bad mistake. And when you look at the data, you can see that when they made the pricing change, their stock price started to drop because the public had lost faith in them. And then when they launched Quickster, people were like, oh, they really don't know what they're doing. Um, personally, I was a huge Netflix fan, and I was so like, excited and proud that they disrupted Blockbuster that when the stock started dropping, I bought some of it at like 180 a share, and then it kept dropping. And it got to 120 a share, and I was like, I'll buy more. This is great. Uh, these guys are going to recover. This is going to be a perfect, perfect story for me. Um, and then the next month, they like rewound this plan. So the next month, they said, we're not going to do this separate thing. You want everything together. DVDs are for all the things that are rare and hard to get. Streaming's for instantaneous feedback. And then they recovered. It took a long time, but I think when we think about Netflix today, we think about House of Cards. We think about the fact that they have the next season of The Killing. We think about the fact that they have all these amazing shows, and they're kind of revered. Now, personally, I held on to those shares for about a year, um, which is October 12, 2012. Uh, <laughs> File that under bad mistakes. Uh, and I was just like, the public doesn't understand. They don't get it. But they did. And it came back. Um, so what I want to talk to you about today, and really the crux of this talk, is about dangerous mistakes. And dangerous mistakes are mistakes where you learn very slowly that you made the mistake. And so for that reason, you recover very slowly. So usually when you make a dangerous mistake, you feel really good. Like, you think that you just made the best decision of your life. And I've got three of those for you that we made that we somehow have recovered from to some degree. <laughs> um, so the first dangerous mistake I want to cover is hiding who we were. So in 2008, things are going OK for Wistia. Um, this is our front page. And um, we're selling to businesses. Don't laugh, Patrick. We're selling, we're selling to businesses. So we're trying to be, in one word, professional. And I think this site looks pretty professional. Uh, you've got a tagline, video at work. You've got video sharing for your team, company, and customers. You've got sales and marketing. You've got training. You've got trials. You've got 800 number, all this stuff. And we're trying to be as professional as we can be, because we want businesses to trust us. This is what our team page looked at the time. I would say in one word this team page looks like legitimate. This is a legitimate team page. <laughs> Um, and so everything about this team page, everything that we had done, was trying to set up to be professional. So my bio reads, Chris leads Wistia's strategy and business development efforts, blah, 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 blah. I was basically blogging at this time, but let's not, you know, we won't put that on here. Um, my, this is my actual business card from the time. And uh, we had a fax number, which we thought should be professional, obviously different than an 800 number. My email address was csavage at wistia.com. Why was it csavage at wistia.com? Because I wanted to imply that there were so many Chris's that I couldn't get csavage at wistia.com. <laughs> um, and the wild thing was, this was working. So basically, we thought we were definitely making the right decision. There's no way we were making a mistake. 
Um, so Cushman and Wakefield signed up, huge real estate firm, like signed up. HBO did not sign up, but <laughs> they took us seriously and we went to their offices, we met with their head of production, I saw actors in their office, it was insane, it was absolutely crazy, and it felt really good. Um, and then Cirque du Soleil became a customer. And so at this time, when someone saw all the stuff that Wistia was doing, what I wanted them to imagine was this, a fucking office park. I thought this was like the coolest thing in the world. I was like, you're gonna see that stuff and you're gonna think we're so legit that we're in an office park and you have to drive up and there's a receptionist and there's all this stuff and this is why people are trusting us. Uh, the reality is it looked like this actually. <laughs> so this is Brendan, my co-founder in our office, AKA his bedroom, um, doing everything, running everything. Um, and uh, you know, we were trying to present this very professional, very legitimate view to the world, and I really thought that that was what was gonna be the thing that built trust. Um, we were leaving meetings at the time, actually after we closed our first deal. This is a selfie that I just feel like I should share with you guys, because this is a pre-iPhone selfie. Thank you. With a real camera outside the window of a car. Um, <laughs> so we were feeling pretty good about this strategy. Um, and we're feeling legitimate. And one thing I want you to notice on this page is it says management. The reason it says management is that there's four people on this page and there were four people in the company. <laughs> so obviously what we're trying to do is make it look like there's a ton of employees who are not important enough to be on here. Only management's on here. Um, so, uh, so basically this, you know, I felt like this was working. And then we hired two more people like five years in Five years in, so we're talking about dangerous mistakes, things go for a long time. Five years in, we hired two more people, and I start to feel kind of bad. Uh, I start to feel bad because there's these two other guys who are like putting their blood and their sweat and their tears into building this company, and they're not on this team page, which is like the one thing I can give them. It's like the only thing I can give them. Um, and you know, we also figured no one's really looking at this team page, so we might as well change it. So I wanna show you guys what we changed our team page to. A little different. Uh, so this is what it looks like when you have six people who are trying to look like badasses. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, we basically took photos in front of our whiteboard. Um, I look obviously amazing right there in the middle, 50 pounds heavier, no big deal. Um, we have the full bios for everybody, so we're still trying to be professional. But you know, we kind of figured at this point, no one's really paying attention to our team page, so like, what does this matter? And Brendan, my co-founder, he wanted to do something for Jeff. Jeff's the only guy smiling here, and he's still the guy who smiles the most in the office. But Jeff had just joined us, and it was Jeff's birthday. And he wanted to do something for Jeff. And so what he did is he made it that if you typed dance on this page, that something would happen. Do you guys want to see what that thing is? Okay, cool. I hope so, because we're going to look at it. Let's let this run for a few more seconds. Okay, there you go. Uh, so basically, what had we done? We had built a team page that if you type dance, would play girl talk for nine minutes. Uh, and <laughs> we had two images of each person, and that was it. And it was really just for us, and it was fun. 
So we decided to share this in the same way that we had shared all the other content we've ever shared before on Twitter and on Facebook and on Hacker News and everything. And basically, nothing before ever had ever taken off. And we put this onto Hacker News, and it took off. Um, and it took off on Twitter, and it took off in all these different places. And the first time we'd ever been honest about who was on the team, and that we looked like we didn't know what we were doing, and that we were young, and that we were not professional, and we were probably not in an office park, uh, it's, things started to come in. Now, I'm, I have these comments up here. You don't have to read everything. I'll, I'll just pick the highlights for you. Top comment, weird how many negative comments you're getting. I, for one, absolutely love it. It's, I think it's energizing, and the awkwardness energy is fun. OK, OK. Um, Next one down, too many chiefs and just one craftsman. This definitely rings a bell. It's such a shame for startups to enterprise their job roles. That hit close to home. And then there's a number of other comments about how I had not shaved and I was unprofessional and not to be trusted. Um, so those were all the fears that I had, basically, had all come true in this moment. And then what happened is two weeks later, which was the, the time period of our free trials, the traffic actually converted. So this was crazy. The traffic that came in on our team page that had nothing to do with business video hosting and business tools and all this stuff, and was the time that we had been the least professional looking by a long shot, was the first time that we had brought in like a lot of traffic and it had converted into real paying customers. And what I learned is that being authentic, just like Dave in this photo who's on our team, being authentic is just the thing that's going to create trust. And then that whole time when we were trying to be professional, we were trying to be legitimate, we were trying to create trust, I actually think if you look at the site, it's pretty clear that we are not a big company. And it's pretty clear that we're trying to be big. And the second that we were honest about who we are, it changed everything. Um, and so now if you go to our website, you'll notice that all of our marketing has been defined by this. And how we present ourselves has been entirely but defined by this. So the front page is an auto-playing video. And uh, it's got everybody in the team in it, or most of the people in the team. Um, if you go to our features page, you're going to see people presenting the product that are also actually team members. And it's funny, because some people will say to me that this looks big. There's like 15 people in this video right now out of like 33. Um, but actually, most people say like, oh, you guys are so huge. You guys are, I can't believe how much you've grown. Because people have seen us grow for like, from like six people to 33. Um, another interesting thing that's happened with this is also just like the second that people knew we were small, they stopped complaining about how long it was taking us to get back to them for support. <laughs> They're like, wow, good on you. Like, really fast. I really appreciate that. And I was like, wow, this is way easier. <laughs> My god, why didn't we do this earlier? So only five years of making a dangerous mistake. But, um, and then if you go to our blog, I think this is another nice example. This is Merrill, who's a writer on our team. And if you go through and you look at the content, you're going to see that there's illustrations of people on the team in this particular post. This is Chris Levine and Merrill. Um, you're going to see bizarre, goofy videos of things that we actually do at the office. And we just somehow find a way to get this stuff in there because we've learned that like, the more texture and the more personality and the more that we're ourselves, the more that people build connections with us. So I think this is very, very similar to what lots of big companies do. So this is. Um, Elon Musk, CEO of Tesla and CEO of SpaceX. I certainly look up to this guy. I think his story is incredible. And I think when Tesla news comes out, you kind of look at it through the Elon Musk lens. And I think last week, Apple's announcement, what everyone was saying is, how is Tim Cook going to stack up to Steve Jobs? What's going to be different? Is the watch actually going to be amazing, or is it not? Is it incremental, like Jobs ever would have done this, yada, yada, yada? 
And the thing about this is like big companies know this and they spend a huge amount of money and time and effort on the PR to get people to build a connection with one person. And it turns out it's actually way easier to do it when you're small because everyone wants to root for you. That's basically what I learned is like, when we were honest about the fact that we were small, people started rooting for us. And before that, they were complaining. Um, now, of course, there were images of me in the wild at this time. So if you were to go and like search for Chris Savage Wistia, you might find my Facebook page. And so you might be wondering, how did I present myself at this time? Well, I feel like this is boss. I might as well show it. So this is my actual Facebook photo from when we first began. Uh, so I was concerned about this, of course, um, and I called up a friend who's a photographer. I was like, we have to take the most baller photo that you've ever taken. He's like, I know exactly what we're going to do. We're going to MIT. There's a bridge with graffiti. And it's where all the bands go. I was like, yes. And then we went there, and I popped that collar, and I felt amazing. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm so professional. Like, I'm so badass. This is what, like, business looks like. Um, <laughs> you know. Uh, I will also say that this particular photo when I was looking for it, I found it in my iPhoto in an event labeled Baller. <laughs> so there's that. Um, we were lucky enough at one point to be featured in a magazine, and we still had not really shown anybody who we were. And so they wanted Brennan and I to like, go take photos. And so I called up the same photographer, and I said, we have to be badass again. And so we came up with this guy. Um, <laughs> this is us at MGH in front of a train. No big deal. No smiles here. Absolutely none, because this is business. Uh, so, Dangerous mistake number one, for us it lasted for five years. Um, please don't hide who you are. I realize that there's gonna be enterprise companies here who are worried about this. Everyone wants to make a connection with an individual. I think it's really, really easy to do this. The second dangerous mistake was not being our own customer. So um, a few years later, things are going pretty well. This is a shot of the team at uh, three of us at Mohegan Sun, because we were celebrating, obviously, no big deal. And, uh, at this time, we had hundreds of paying customers. We had very, very low churn rate. Um, and we also had people using Wistia for all different types of things, for training, for collaboration, for sales, for marketing, all this stuff. So I was feeling pretty good. I was uh, feeling pretty good. I was like, oh, OK, we can make a pretty great product. People like this product. <laughs> and the numbers kind of said that. And the user research said that this product was good to me. Um, we got a new office. Uh, that's Lenny, our office dog. So I was really proud of this office. Like, it felt like you know, getting out there, skylight down the middle. Uh, when you have a videographer on your team, you end up with amazing photos of everything. That's why like, there are actually no stock photos in this. It's all like people on our team in our office, which is kind of fun. Um, it's, that's not made of cheese. It's made of wood. Reclaimed barn wood. <laughs> Reclaimed. Uh, <laughs> um, so this was our website at that time. And we had started to use video a little bit. You'll notice that last page, we did not use video. I had made this video. Um, so I'm going to play it. I am not going to let you listen to my bizarre, whispery voice from this period of time. Um, but it's basically just a screencast. But I felt, I felt like we were, you know, Wistia is video hosting. It's video hosting analytics. Like, I felt like we were using the product. We were doing it justice. We had like an odd aspect ratio on the site. Um, we had a button over the video. The player is really clean. There's no ads, all that stuff. Like, we felt like we were Wistia customers in the same way that all the people around us were Wistia customers, so we felt good. We felt like we understood the product. Um, so we were focused on other things. We were focused like, not on the product. We were focused on things like advertising. So this is advertising that we made at that time. I kind of thought I was Don Draper for a little bit there. Uh, I was not, but you know, very, very beautiful, obviously. 
Um, this was a blog post at that time before we really figured out content marketing, eight reasons to choose professional video hosting. Sounds like something wants to put me to sleep, but in any case, we're trying this stuff. And we thought that that's what we were supposed to be doing. We thought that what we were supposed to be doing was trying all the traditional marketing, all the traditional stuff to get the word out there, all the traditional PR. We hired a PR firm, we did all of that stuff. Then something funny happened. Um, so Jeff, the smiley guy on the team, his friend Chris is a video producer. And Chris saw what we were doing. He's like, hey, you guys, like, I think you should maybe make more videos. And you should be in them. And I was sold on that. We learned that. Um, and I, but I was not sold on making a video, really. I was not sold on like, doing a lot of video marketing. I kind of thought we were already doing video marketing. Like, I thought that's what was happening on the front page. So Chris was going to come in. And he said, I, I said, I'm not going to pay you. And he's like, all right, I'll come in. I'll shoot something for free just to prove it to you. We, you know, I like that video, obviously. I like that video, it's kind of fun. Uh, we took the video, we shared it out. Of course, exactly the same thing happened that happened with the team page. It took off, and people shared it all over the place. Now, the funny thing about this is like, there's no forethought in this video, right? Like, Chris came in, he shot it, but we didn't plan it. I didn't even want him to do it, which is why we're all actually working. Like, the only thing that's in there <laughs> that we thought was cool was the hockey stick part, which is clearly the worst part of that video. Like, people were like, seriously, a hockey stick with revenues? I'm like, yes, you know, sorry. Um, so, but we, it changed, started to make us think, like, you know, maybe we should actually be using video as a part of our marketing. Okay, how long into building the business is this? Six years, approximately. Five and a half years into building the business. For context, Wissy has been around for eight and a half years. So this is pretty late in for a video hosting company to be thinking about marketing with video. But I'm here to admit my mistakes. I'm here to admit my dangerous mistakes. Um, and so what we did is we said, OK, let's build a landing page. And instead of just trying to get people to sign up for a webinar or something like that, we'll record five, six videos, video series. People want to watch video. And we'll put it behind this, this gate. So we did that. About 10% of the people who came to this page signed up, which was great. We'd never gotten any conversion rate like that before. You couldn't even see the video. And so we thought, aha, hmm, video is kind of tempting. Maybe we can do something that's going to make this even better. So we took those six videos, we put it in a playlist, and we put an email capture form on top of it. And this is not an easy task for us to do. Like, the marketing team was one person at the time. We had one designer. We needed an engineer to help us. We had to justify this as like an offshoot, totally custom thing. So we did that. And 30% of people that came to this page like signed up. I'm like, OK, this is great. So we start using it around our marketing. We just start making videos, putting an email capture form over it, and putting it around on blog posts, like linking it to things. Um, but every time, we were like doing custom work. So eventually, we decided, you know, let's give it a name. We'll call it Turnstile, and we'll put it in our product. And the wild thing was, of course, like I did not think this was going to be a big deal, because I just assumed that no one else cared about this. Uh, but it was the first time that we'd actually been using our product to market with video. It was the first time. And what happened is it just took off. And people loved it. And people would say things to me like, that's the first time I understood why Wistia exists. Oh, you're doing totally different things. This is really easy. And all we were trying to do was just save ourselves time. And then it started to hit me that I had been looking at these numbers for so long. I had been looking for these numbers for so long. And like, we weren't actually being our own customer. But we thought that our product was great. Because we had really low churn, and because like, our monthly numbers were going up, and all of this stuff, we actually ignored our products. And you know, at the early days, like, we had relationships with our customers. We were trying to help them out. But this has become like, a guiding principle of what we do now. And a guiding principle about how we think about the product is like, how would we use it? 
So an example here is, um, as we started using more video, we started making more mistakes in video. And so we would sometimes have like a music track be listed too high. It's hard to hear the vocals. We might screw up a logo. We might screw up um, a title for someone that we'd interviewed for something. And so we were going around our product, logging directly into a CDN and like replacing video files manually. And we were doing this, you know, relatively consistently, enough that it was annoying. And we're like, well, how much work would it be to put this in the product? Okay, it turns out it's like literally one day of work. All right, we've got this video guy that we're working with, and like we're, we're making videos to promote things. Like, how long would it take us to make a video to promote this thing? Like, well, about a day. So two days' time, we made this video, and I'm gonna show it to you guys. And that's why video is an amazing marketing tool. Everyone makes mistakes. That's why we now allow you to replace your video, even after it's embedded. And that's why video is an amazing marketing tool. So you can guess what happened. We put it out there, people loved it, and it, something also happened that never occurred to me, which is it turns out you can't even replace a video on YouTube. Because if a video gets popular, they don't want popular videos that people are constantly changing out. So we had found this little edge case that we thought was only for us that no one had ever asked about. The second that we were our own customer and thought about it like that, we got this into the product, and again, it took off. Um, and so for, we started making more videos to promote ourselves. We started using the product more and more and more. Um, this video I'm not going to show you, but I'm really proud of it if you want to go see it. Uh, it's basically how to build a lighting kit for less than 100 bucks. We made tons of stuff like this, and it would take off. We put it on our blog. But then it would get lost. It would you know, disappear into the blog. And so we had an idea, very simple idea. We'll build a learning center on our site, and that learning center will like, automatically pull in videos from an account. So we basically built something on our APIs, um, and one person who has no like, technical coding experience whatsoever can like, upload a video into a normal Wistia account, and it shows up in this really nice interface. It's got descriptions. It's indexed for SEO, all this stuff. And so now what we're looking at is like, should we turn this into a product for our customers? And so the question we just keep asking ourselves is how would we use it? How would we use it? Are we evolving? Is this stuff working? And this is the defining question that comes up when we think about product. Now I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't be doing user research, and I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't be figuring out like what the job to be done is. All that stuff is extremely helpful. I'm just telling you that every time that we have built something that we don't actually use as a customer, it starts to not be as good. You know, it starts to fall apart a little bit. And when we find things that are core to our business, we make them really great. So just one more great transition. There you go. Uh, dangerous mistake number two was not being our own customer. Um, so number three was giving up the customer relationship. So the team has grown at this point. We're in a new office a couple of years later. Um, and I wanted to have one mistake in here that was like very recent that I'm not even sure exactly how things are going to end up from. Um, but we've grown, and, and the nice thing about growing is you get to have those problems that you dream of. Like, if we can just get a small percentage of people to do something, the revenue we could generate would be incredible. And so you start considering things that you weren't considering before. Um, we also have kind of started to figure out our marketing. We're using video as like our main driver of marketing at this point. Uh, content is like huge for us, using our product and not hiding ourselves. We've kind of figured this stuff out. Um, and one of the things that had come up since the very early days was white labeling. 
And so from the very beginning, people would find us and they would say, I've never heard of Wistia before, but this is great. And I want to tell my friends. But the thing is, I want to get rid of this little Wistia guy at the bottom. I want to get rid of the little Wistia guy. I want to get rid of the little Wistia guy in the player. I want no Wistia URLs. I just want to white label it. And they wanted to white label it so they could resell it. And I, we always said no, we always said no, we always said no. And then we said, our product's good enough. Yes, let's do this. Um, so about a year ago, we launched this reseller program that allowed people to buy Wistia in a white labeled way and sell it to other people. And the thing about it is that it worked. It felt really good. Um, so this is definitely a dangerous mistake because I was like over the moon when we launched this thing. We shared it out to a very small group of people, like 200 email addresses, took off on Twitter. Everyone's like, oh my god, the Wistia agency thing, oh, this incredible bull of stuff. Um, people were telling each other to sign up for the program. Like it dwarfed our revenue expectations, just dwarfed them. So it felt really, really good. Um, but then like six, eight months later, it started to feel kind of weird. It started to feel a little weird. <laughs> Um, and there was not one thing that helped me realize that we were making a dangerous mistake here, but it was kind of a collection of bizarre things that have now kind of coalesced into what the problem was. And the first of them is that white label customers were much more frustrated with the same product. So the, the resellers were more frustrated and their clients were more frustrated. And so we were getting support requests through them and the support requests were about the same things but they were way more upset. Kind of weird, right? Like you're thinking like, well, this is the same product. We've got lots of people using it. It's out in the world. Like, why would you have a problem with this? Like, this is the thing that people are paying for. Um, but they were definitely, definitely more frustrated and the support that we were trying to help the resellers do is taking longer to do. The second thing is that they really did not like change. Um, so this is a little tangent, but uh, we introduced this thing called Customize last year and really it changed the paradigm of how our application works. So it used to be that you would upload a video, it would convert, and then when you went to embed it, you would change the color on the player, and you would add a call to action. And at this point, you're adding a turnstile, and you're adding social buttons, all this stuff. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And we changed things so that instead of like embedding being the time when you're customizing, you could customize it before you embed. So you would upload and customize. And the reason this is important is you could send people to your Wistia page, and if you did change your customizations, they would flow through to wherever they were embedded. So this is like, way, 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 way better for everybody. We were really excited about it. It was hard to prioritize this. We went to the resellers who were white labeling, and they're like, we don't want it. We don't want this. Like, why, why change it? The product's great. And you know, they didn't like change because they had to explain change. And they, they, they didn't understand it. And, they, and like, the long-term ramifications were different. Now, I should also mention at this point, not, this is not a reseller problem. This is like our problem that we created. Um, because we have many other people who do resell this product and they don't do it in a white-labeled way and they've just always done it. It's kind of like, it's not even reselling, they just buy it for clients basically is what I mean. But in any case, so we did this, they did not like change. Um, and what we finally came like coalescing in is that we had removed the relationship with the customer from the overall experience. We had taken the relationship away. I'm gonna show you what I mean. What's this? Happy Meal. Delicious. I had two of these today. <laughs> I didn't, but I feel really good when I think about a Happy Meal. I feel pretty great. Um, and what we did is we basically took this experience. If you want to use this as a metaphor for the Wistia experience, we took this like happy little experience and we just broke it down to a shitty burger. 
And uh, I'm not trying to say that Wist is a shitty product. I don't think that it is. But I think that without a lot of other stuff, it's not as good, it turns out. So if you remove the play place, it's not as fun. Play place is free, but it's not as fun. And if you remove Ronald McDonald, well, he's creepy. But you're, you know, lots of people like him. Um, and if you remove the place for the adults to walk in and buy whatever they want, and the, the arches that they know well, and definitely if you remove that drive through whew, you're in trouble. And the thing about all of this stuff is all of this stuff is free. It's just relationship stuff. They don't have to give you the toy. They don't have to put it in the fun box. They don't have to have the drive-through. And I, it started to hit us like, oh my God, we took the product out of, like, away from our own support, which people loved because we cared very deeply about. And we took it away from the learning center. We took the blog away and the Twitter social presence and all of the stuff, all of the relationship building stuff, and all of the stuff about like adding personality and all that stuff, we took it away. And we had farmed out the most important part. We had farmed out the customer relationship. And this one really, I mean, this one sucks because uh, this is pretty recent. This is kind of an open wound a little bit. Um, but some of, we have made some changes. And I've, and I've been trying to look for like, this is definitely defining our future and it's starting to define our recent past. So one of the things that we did after this is we decided to run a conference. The conference is called Wistia Fest. We did this in May. It was our first conference ever, 200 people. I was terrified and excited. And the cool thing was we were able to not just have people build a relationship with us, but we were able to have people build relationships with each other. And it was one of those things we realized like people valued very deeply out of what we do at Wistia, and we wanted to extend that relationship building. The other thing that we did is that we've built this community. And we have a community now where you can go and ask production questions. There's a ton of like in-house video producers on here. Like basically any question you have about video, you can go and find, and you don't have to rely on us and our content marketing to like solve those problems for you. And I think that I think that we all make dangerous mistakes. Um, I certainly have made many of them. I'm probably making one right now that I don't know about, uh, like a fly being down. I don't know. Um, but we we all make dangerous mistakes, and. I think actually that the key is that you just can't forget to question yourself. And when you're making a decision and you feel really, really good, you should ask yourself, like, is there some, there's some part of you should be asking, like, am I sure this is not a dangerous mistake? Like, am I sure that I'm not pretending to be something big and I'm actually throwing away the trust that I could build up? Um, and I would also say that this, I just thank you guys so much. Um, I really appreciate it. Even having this talk internally at Wistia is, is you know, I gave it to the team yesterday. And it's causing us to talk more about mistakes that we're making um, and helping us reflect on them. And I hope it does the same thing for you guys. So thank you so much. Questions? Hi. Oh, hi there. I'm Luke from Fog Creek and Trello. Uh, I wanted to ask about WistiaFS. One of my colleagues went. And can you talk about the mindset that you went into to build that conference? Maybe, like, was it always about video? Was it a lot about marketing? Did you take away any lessons from the customers that came to visit you? Yeah, um, I think the thing that we did that made it really different is that we hosted it like three blocks from our office. And so the main talks were at the Meridian Hotel in Cambridge. And then we'd walk everyone back to our office for the parties. Um, and then we had a day of workshops that were also in the office. And what a lot of people told me was like, being in the space and asking questions in the space was like really, really different. Like being in our actual production studio was really, really different. Um, and our goal was honestly like, I mean, I feel like I learned more from every person who came to that than was from the speakers. 
Um, because it's, we have a group of people who are using us who don't usually get the chance to talk to each other. So we just want to bring those people together. Hi. Um, with the white label stuff, is there a solution that doesn't involve, like, it's making money, so is there like a way to figure, like, do you guys have plans to figure out a way to kind of maybe turn that ship? Like Campaign Monitor does a Oh yeah, totally. Awesome yeah, and we've thought a know? lot, I mean, that was, Campaign Monitor definitely helped inspire us when we thought about this. Um, the, I think the thing for us is like, we got, we've gotten good at the relationship building stuff, and we realized that to do white labeling right, we'd probably have to build like a separate group within the company. And people who are just dedicated to that and solely focused on that, and I think you definitely can make that work. I think the thing that we, even at like 33 people, we're too small, at least in our case, like we couldn't pull it off. Um, and I think, I, I don't know, when I kind of think about future opportunities and the relationships, I think like what are the things that are gonna play well together within the Wistia ecosystem so that someone knows it's Wistia, it's not a bad thing for it be in, to, in, to be interconnected, and what are the things that maybe should be totally separate that are like, you know, a completely different brand or whatever, which is we're starting to consider some of that stuff. Yeah? At the beginning you said video for work, and then toward the end, it seemed like you were more video for marketing. What, did you narrow your focus, uh, your marketing focus, and do you still have a lot of customers using Wistia for all kinds of different things, or has it coalesced into more similar things? Okay, that's an amazing question, because it has a very, very boss-centric answer. Um, so three years ago, in 2011, I came to, to Business of Software, and I uh, met Mike McDermott, the CEO of FreshBooks, and he was sitting in the lobby, and I just went up to him, like, hey, I have a challenge right now I'm dealing with. Um, the challenge is, we have all these different customers that are using Wistia. We have people who are using Wistia for sales, like sales teams that are sending videos to see if people are watching them. We have people who are using it for marketing, so they're putting it on their websites, they're trying to like, engage more. We have people who are using it for training and private sharing, and people who are using it for collaboration. I was like, what should we do? Like, I can't pick one of these things. Like, these customers are using all this stuff, we're gonna let them go. And he's like, you just have to pick the best one. And guess what? If you're still the best product for the other people, they'll still use it, even though you don't say that. And so we, we knew that marketing was the thing for us. Like we knew that we should be focusing on that. We were just afraid of it. So we, switched, we just changed course and we said, all right, we're gonna focus on marketing. And the wild thing is we still get a ton of customers that are video production companies that use us for collaboration for like in-progress work. We still get people who sign up and use Wistia today for like training at big companies. And it turns out that if you have, I think, like a solution that's really good for somebody, they don't really care what you say. And I think about this, um, if you look at how like MailChimp has changed their messaging, there's a lot of times when it's just like, oh, MailChimp is like send easy emails. That's all it says. It's like the most simple tagline in the world like on their site. But I noticed the reason I was telling people to use MailChimp in the early days is like the brand's really fun and they've got a really great easy tool set and it's the right price and all this other stuff. And I was like, wait a second, the word of mouth just circumvents that. And so the, the, the changing the framing on the site is more about what we want someone to see the first time they come and, and touch things. Um, and actually, when Mark and I were talking about this and all the mistakes that we made, that was one of the ones that we almost put in there. Um, but, you know, we didn't. <laughs> Yep. Real quickly, what would you say are the three biggest successes of the company? Oh, dear God. I would say probably for me, like starting really young, because we were like 22 when we started, a year out of school, and that meant that uh, we didn't know what we were doing and we were naive enough to start. Like I thought that, I, I thought that was gonna be rich in like eight months. I was certain. Or I'd be out of money. And then two years later, I was like, definitely not rich. Uh, definitely not. 
living in a 10-person house in Cambridge, whole other story. Um, but I think we started so young, and we were just so naive. I think being really naive is really helpful for us. Uh, and actually, you know, figuring out to use the product and actually be a real customer, when I go back and look, it was like a defining moment for us, definitely. And one of the biggest successes that we've had has been like evangelizing that video marketing can work on your site. You can control the, all ex the whole experience, and like that's part of what matters. Um, and I would say the third is uh, we just built a team that is really strong. And we've made it really hard to join Wistia. And um, when we were like 14 people or so, we started talking about culture a lot. And it's because we'd hired a couple people who were not great culture fits. And I feel like we got kind of lucky that we got to 10 people when we were at that level. Um, and now like, I'm extremely proud of like, our hiring and onboarding and um, I don't know, just the culture of the company. Matt Wensing, Respulse. Um, love your product. We use it all the time uh, for our marketing. Thank you. Uh, really identified with your talk in terms of perception of the company. Um, we had a long road as well, going from B2C to B2B to enterprise. And when you're small, you know, you think a lot about those uh, perceptions. When you guys sell, and I, we're subscribers, I should know this in one sense, but we're small. You had a lot of big names on there. Um, perception of your company, who are you selling to in those huge organizations, uh, how do you manage that? Um, what was said earlier, which was the biggest, uh, I think it was, it was uh, Scott that said it, but you know, when companies see small teams or small startups, risk is a huge deal, right? Yeah, it's a huge deal. Um, so, I mean, venture funding helps, uh, being you know, strong and stable helps, but uh, how did you sort of resolve that own anxiety? Yeah, sure. Um, so for us, at one point, we just realized that uh, well, one, we're not venture funded. People don't really know like what the deal with that is. We've raised two small angel rounds, and you know, the company's growing. Um, and the way that we've resolved it is that we have just really focused on the people who are like the happiest and best customers for us, which really mostly is like small and medium-sized groups, and not just small and medium-sized businesses. So there's lots of small and medium-sized groups in big companies. Um, and so what we've done is we've had, actually the early days, those, few, those first few customers were like big kind of like enterprise-y things. And now there's like tons of companies that sign up that are really big. And it's like, I don't even know how many accounts like IBM has. Like it's a very large number. Um, but like they don't even probably even know that it exists otherwise, um, if that makes sense. Um, and so I, I think that there are people, and probably everyone in this room is like this, who are excited about using something as an early adopter and taking a risk, and knowing that it might not be perfect, and knowing that you might get an advantage before somebody else if you do that. And so I just try to focus on those people. And someday, I assume that as we become better known, hopefully, and more people find us and more people know us, that it'll be even easier to like, have that trust extend to larger companies. I'm Chris with uh, Software Pricing Partners. I was always envious when I had my software company of those companies that could eat their own dog food, meaning you could use your own software. And if you um, take sort of a, a tranche of people that we've talked to, so many people have so many unique apps that have absolutely nothing to do with their own business. For example, the, yeah. the goat thing that we saw earlier. How might you recapture some of the findings that were so innovative that you found eating your own dog food if there was no physical way or conceptual way for you to That's actually That's a great do that. question. Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I have a guess. And I, I think what I've seen work the best is like getting people who are your customers who have, like, who have the pain. I like to think about the pain of the product. Like when we were feeling the pain of replacing videos ourselves, it sucked. When we were feeling the pain of like getting a developer every time to like change that stuff, it sucked. 
But it's really easy to look at the data and be like, it's not that bad. Those aren't really people. Like, the numbers are fine. Um, and I would say that it's getting people really like in person and close to you who are feeling the pain. Because that's, I, I definitely hear product feedback very differently. I got some product feedback the other day from some other people who use Wistia who are sitting right there, these Jamokes. Um, and they were like, yeah, this part is actually a real problem. And someone else was like, yeah, this is a real problem. I'm like, shit. But like, that's amazing. Um, and I think that I treat that differently because I've heard those problems before, but they've come up through emails and other things with people that I don't have a connection to. Um, and in the very earliest days, before we really started using Wistia, you know, we were trying to, like, to market ourselves. We were trying to sell to enterprises. And we did get some like, um, enterprises to sign up. And the way that we did is we just spent a huge amount of time with them. And I would guess that you just have to try to do that. And uh, I don't know. I mean, we still work to make sure that there's enough people with Wistia using Wistia. Because we have, like, now, as of tomorrow, two like, video producers. But that's, we have a five-person marketing team. But there's a lot of the people in the company who are not necessarily using the product every day. Yeah. So, Chris, you guys seem like you're kind of classic growth hackers. Um, so when you had those, those kind of happy accidents with the dance uh, video and stuff, how did you go about the process of kind of validating and then taking action on that, that that was, in fact, how, where you should be and how you should be changing? Growth hacking, what's that? I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, we basically didn't test or validate anything. I mean, it was, you know... I was like, wow, there's a lot of traffic and people are excited. And then I was, dear God, like the traffic converted. I couldn't, I, that was the most mind blowing part was that people would come in for something completely, completely different and that the connection is what would bring them back. And I would say a, a lot of the data has come through qualitatively. Um, in the early days of making the videos, it was hard for us from like a quantitative aspect. It seemed like it was working, but it wasn't generating like huge amounts of traffic. Like it took time to build up. But people would be like, oh yeah, Jeff's awesome or Brennan's amazing. And like they, they clearly were calling people by their first name. And like that was really weird and really different. And I noticed that people say that to me. They're like, how's Brennan doing? What's going on? I'm like, oh, do you know him? They're like, no, I don't know him. Well, I guess I feel like I know him. But I, it's like, OK, that, that was data to me that this was working, just in a very different way. I mean, of course, we test stuff. I have long rants about A-B testing. Happy to share. Not now. But uh, yeah, that, that, we didn't really validate it, I guess. Or we did it with gut. Thanks for listening to the Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org.